Virtually every godless, hedonistic, humanistic rebellion against God's design has been given a pass because the individual Christian, whether in the pulpit, the pew, or his community, has been intimidated into silence because they misunderstand or don't know what the Bible says about judging. We live in a world of swirling ideas and conflicting values, gossip, lies, and half-truths, coming at us from every direction. The media, internet, Hollywood, radio, even our phones. It can be difficult to discern what the truth is. And with each passing day, we're losing voices willing to tell it. Welcome to the Chaplain's Chair, a thought-provoking podcast about religion, faith, family, and yes, even some politics sprinkled in from time to time. Chaplain care is soul care, and caring for your soul starts with telling you the truth. Whether it's our community, our family, our work, our marriages, or even our politics, I've learned the Bible always offers sound guidance, truth, to help us deal with the many storms of life. And from my chaplain's chair, I try to speak the truth to your soul. So let's have a conversation you can relate to. You can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor FM. You can follow it on Facebook and the website, www.thechaplainschair. Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of The Chaplain's Chair. And I want to continue my podcast series on Judge Not, You'd Better Be Judging, that I started a few months back. And it's one of the most controversial topics in the Christian faith, though it shouldn't be, as plain as the Bible is on the subject. As I said in the first podcast of this series, we've heard it. Who are you to judge me? Usually in a defensive tone like that one, or the Bible says not to judge, usually in a scolding, finger-wagging tone and demeanor. And as I said in the first podcast on this topic, the most quoted Bible verse by a non-believer in response to a Christian verbalizing his values is, judge not, or judge not lest ye be judged, from the book of Matthew chapter 7, which, by the way, is only quoting a small piece of the context given in that passage. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit later in this podcast series. Now, to reiterate, Virtually every godless, hedonistic, humanistic rebellion against God's design has been given a pass because the individual Christian, whether in the pulpit, the pew, or his community, has been intimidated into silence because they misunderstand or don't know what the Bible says about judging. They allow themselves to come under conviction because, you know, being judgmental is supposed to be a bad thing. Well, it's a bad thing only to those who don't like to have any boundaries on their behavior or thought, especially divine judging of their behavior. And I guess the thought of answering to a holy God is just too much for some people. And I think somehow they think if they can live without being judged, they can hide from it, and they'll escape the consequences of their sin, etc. And that's just not so. In the first episode of this series, I talked about the word judge which is both a noun and a verb, and covered the various verses and different applications of that word in the scriptures. I showed you the human judge, the divine judge, and the verb form of judging that each one did. And I invite you to go back and listen to those so that you can get up to speed on the issue. Now, I know at the end of that first podcast on this topic, I said we were going to talk some more about the word judge and who does it, etc. But I changed my mind. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the word judgment what it is, how it applies in various situations, and who applies it. And I'm going to get back to the word judge in the next podcast on this issue, or maybe the one after that, whether it's down the road or next week. I haven't really decided yet. This is a a topic that really takes a lot of time and research, and I want to make sure I give it fair treatment. And as always, and I think this is a very important point in Bible study, 
I'm going to give you the definition of terms so we know what we're talking about, which definition applies to the word, the Hebrew and the Greek words if they help to clear up our understanding. But admittedly, I don't use those as much as the English because I had a Bible college professor once who said, I haven't come up with a single interpretation I couldn't figure out using a concordance, a Knaves topical Bible, and a Webster's Dictionary. And he was one of the best doctrinal and theological preachers I ever heard, even to this day, and I've applied that advice ever since. Now, right next to me are my tools for Bible study. I have a Young's Concordance, and sometimes I use a Strong's. I have a Knaves topical Bible and a Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Now, if you're going to use a Webster's Dictionary, use the 1828 version, which you can get online for free. Uh, the updated Webster's Dictionaries are abridged and condensed and, and don't include many of the words or variances and definitions of the 1828 version. The 1828 version has some 80,000 words in it. Now, modern Webster's Dictionaries oftentimes have less than 30,000. And that's not even addressing the many various definitions they no longer put into these newer dictionaries because they're not used as much or the definition might be an older one. They're still relevant and they're still applicable, especially if you're using the King James Version, which I am uh, always. So the 1828 Webster's is the best English dictionary ever written, in my opinion, and it's the only one that I use. Now, I have a facsimile hard copy of the original in my personal library. Now, first, I always look up the Hebrew and the Greek words in the lexicons and the concordances, and I find their meanings, and I find their best English equivalent definition. And I have additional helps in my Holman's Bible Dictionary and my book called Bible Maps Then and Now, so I can get an idea of, of ancient lands and where they're placed today. Now, those are the only tools that I use. So... Let's start with the definitions, the English definitions that match the Greek and the Hebrew equivalents I just mentioned. And I invite you to look them up yourself if you'd like. Now, the word judgment is what we're looking at in this podcast. And fortunately for us, it's a noun. And there's no confusing whether it's a noun or a verb like the word judge. And we all know, or we should know from our grammar school English classes, that a noun is a person, place, or thing. A judgment is a thing. So we're going to look at the various things it can be. Now Webster's 1828 has 17 things it could be. Not all with a biblical application, but most of them do have one. But I want to go through them uh, pretty thoroughly to lay a foundation. I'm going to define judgment as a noun, as Webster's defined it, the act of judging. Okay, so let me issue a parenthetical here. So there goes the notion that we're not supposed to do it. When the Bible mentions judgment, it follows the act of judging. And as Webster's continues, the act or process of the mind in comparing its ideas to find their agreement or disagreement and to ascertain truth or the process of examining facts and arguments to ascertain propriety and justice or the process of examining the relations between one proposition and another. Now, it sounds like a lot, but I want to break that down. And the common definition to this before we get to the others. And the re result of judgment is to compare ideas, to find agreement or disagreement, and the important one, to ascertain truth. And if you're looking for truth, you must judge information. How do you know what's true or false? You have to judge the merits of the information and the merits of the argument. It goes on to say the process of examining facts and arguments. Arguments are competing viewpoints. Both are not true. 
And one of the first rules of truth and logic is that opposing viewpoints cannot both be true. So how do we determine which is true? Well, we use judgment, which is the act of judging. Why we do that is given in the next definition. Why, why should we judge things? Well, Webster says, propriety and justice. What's propriety mean? Fitness, suitableness, appropriateness. Consonance with established principles, rules, or customs. Justness. Accuracy. Propriety of conduct. And in a moral sense, Webster goes on, consists in its conformity to the moral law. Propriety of behavior. Consists in conformity to the established rules of decorum. Propriety in language. Is correct or correctness in the use of words and phrases according to established uses, which constitutes the rule of speaking and writing. Justice, in this application, equity, agreeableness to right. Or to use the example, he proved the justice of his claim. You cannot reach those conclusions if you don't judge and evaluate information. It is essential, it is imperative, that we make judgments every single day. We do that by examining propositions. To examine at its core means to evaluate things to determine truth. How do you prove that 2 plus 2 equals 4? Well, you sit there and you count 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1. You have to evaluate that. If somebody tells you 2 plus 2 is 5 and you sit down to evaluate it, you're going to find out that 2 plus 2 is 5 is not true. And, and I'm sorry to tell the people in the world that don't want to be evaluated by the Word of God that the Bible does, in fact, call us to judge matters of morality, behavior, truth, to determine what is right and wrong, and a host of other issues. There is no such thing in the Word of God as moral relativism, or what's right for you might not be right for me. And I mentioned in the first podcast that I knew a preacher who said one time, a man who cannot hate sin, drunkenness, sex perversion, fraud, extortion, blackmail, pornography, perverted Bibles, apostate preachers, and moral filth is a danger to his community. Why? Because those things are always wrong. And the man who does not hate and expose them is giving shade to the sins, breaking down our society, and the community suffers because of it. What, do you want proof? Take a look at what we're dealing with in America today because we fear being judgmental. Because we fear calling out the sins of society that men might repent and get right with God. That we fear uh, to speak of because we get canceled or because we get attacked or maybe our, our jobs are at risk or any number of other things we have to deal with. We don't speak out against substance abuse. It's insensitive and uncaring. It's a sickness, isn't it? We don't speak out against crime because it's racist somehow. We don't speak out against sexual immorality. It's judgmental and none of our business. We're now discussing in America the acceptance of pedophilia. That's how far that conversation has gone because nobody spoke up before. We call it minor retracted persons now, as if that somehow sanitizes the sin. We don't speak out against multiple genders. We don't speak speak out against gender confusion. We don't speak out against the attack of the very design God made man and woman and the biological differences that he gave both. 
We don't speak out against grown men in women's bathrooms. We don't speak out against science saying men can get pregnant. We don't speak out against murder of the unborn, abortion. It's a woman's right to choose, they say. Heck, they're even advocating for terminating the life of a child born alive. That's how far we've slipped. We don't speak out against sluggardness. That's an old English word for laziness. We call it entitlements. We don't speak out against all manner of hedonism. We call it lifestyle choices. I'll tell you what the Bible calls these efforts and ideas to absolutely turn on its head Judeo-Christian morality. The Bible calls it reprobate and sin. Not to that little rabbit trail down some of society's more glaring deviations from the word. I want to say as a reminder, and one thing we cannot do, and I want to reiterate this from the first podcast on this topic, is judge the sentence. The sentence of sin or the sentence of a sinner. Only God does that. And I'm going to get into that in detail at some point. But we most certainly can call those things what they are, sin. I want to continue with the definitions of judgment. Here's another one. The faculty of the mind by which man is enabled to compare ideas and ascertain the relations of terms and propositions as a man of clear judgment or sound judgment. That's from Webster's. We have to compare ideas. You have to make a judgment. Now, he's honest about it. He says the judgment may be biased by prejudice. Judgment supplies the want of certain knowledge. Now, it's a key definition, I think, because biased by prejudice carries with it thinking or believing a certain thing based on information you have or information you might not have. You might think a certain individual is an upstanding moral person. You may have made that judgment, but that judgment might be based on simply information that you have. Your experience might absolutely be that. And the experience of someone else may not be. So you're going to have conflicting judgments, and you're going to have to use all information available to come up with what we would call a true judgment. And Webster goes on, and he says, The determination of the mind formed from comparing the relation of ideas and the comparison of facts and arguments. And in the formation of our judgments, we should be careful to weigh and compare all facts connected with the subject. You know, that's the problem in society today. We don't make judgments. We have an idea of how we things or, or how we want things to be, and then we go and we use only that information and data which supports that conclusion. It is very, very difficult in this 21st century, in 2023, to get anyone to change their mind. And I think there's a pride element there, too. I don't care what facts you show certain people, especially in a lot of our political arguments, they are not going to change their mind. I don't care if you show them video. They will find some reason not to believe it. Now, if we move on, Webster says, in law, the sentence of doom pronounced in any case, civil or criminal, by the judge of the court by which it is tried. Judgment may be rendered on demurrer or a verdict, on a confession or default. Judgment though pronounced by the judge of court, is properly the determination or sentence of the law. A pardon may be pleaded in arrest of judgment. Now, we are going to cover in some of the upcoming podcasts on this subject, we're going to talk about the difference between civil magistrates that the, that the Bible has established and empowered to make judgments. Okay, But with, with this goes 
there's a divine sentence that man is never to mess with. And I'm going to flesh that out a little bit more down the road. Or this, this definition by Webster kind of reinforces what I just said. The right or power of passing a sentence. And as I said, it does apply to human and divine agents. God delegated authority to human agents to pass sentence on earthly transgressions like stealing and murder and sexual assault and any number of things. But passing divine sentence is another matter. And I consider the human profanity, go to hell, to be almost as blasphemous as taking the Lord's name in vain. Or deifying oneself by saying, hey, I'm my own God. I don't need the uh, heavenly God. Uh, Because it concerns sentencing someone to punishment. They don't have the authority to, to sentence or to punish. Another thing about judgment, a determination, a decision. You know a decision means you have to lay things in front of you and you have to make one. You know that requires judgment. We are required to make judgments. Here's another one. Let reason govern us in the formation of our judgment of things proposed to our inquiry. Let's reason these things. We have to think about things. We have to look at things. We have to evaluate them. Judgment is also an opinion. And that opinion or notion may or may not be based on biblical standards. For example, in my opinion, he did the right thing. Well, what that judgment is based on makes all the difference. You have different moral standards. I'll put the word moral in quotes, but you have different standards of of morality between the Eastern and Western hemispheres. And when somebody says stealing is wrong. You, you know that there are there are value systems in other parts of the world that think stealing is perfectly okay. So that opinion and notion, a judgment made, may or may not be based on biblical standards. And that's really what the, the, the focus of these podcasts is, is trying to get to. Many things in society today that in the opinion of many are the right thing. We see that in politics. Politics itself, between right and left, conservative, liberal, whatever whatever you want to call it, really is decided by a different standard of morality. Many people think, by their standard of morality, abortion is perfectly okay. That drug use is okay. That sexual deviation is okay. These people that are advancing the cause of abortion minor attracted children instead of calling it pedophilia, they have made a moral judgment that there is absolutely nothing immoral about pedophilia. So let's make sure that we're careful about when someone makes a judgment, what standard they're basing it on. Many things in society that people have the opinion are the right thing, and God calls them an abomination or filthy use the statement, you know, she in my judgment was as fair as you. Well, again, that's based on, is that based on a consistent, non-vacillating standard? That's a very difficult question to answer. So in, in scripture, the spirit of wisdom and prudence, enabling a person to discern right and wrong. This is Webster's next, next definition. The spirit of wisdom and prudence, enabling a person to discern right and wrong, good and evil. Now, you know what? There we are. And I'm going to camp there for just a minute. And I want you to turn in your Bibles, and I want you to look at Psalm 72, verse 2. And it says in that verse, Give the king thy judgments, O God. Now the king, in this verse, is a person. And he was entrusted to discern truth and make the right judgments. 
And the basis of this knowledge through which to strain those decisions was the precepts of God. So as was mentioned in the first podcast, the foundation of truth, from which we're to consider right from wrong, truth from error, and good judgment versus bad, is the word of God. And I will reinforce again, you cannot make a decision based on the word of God if you don't know the word of God. Know it yourself. Don't let somebody else tell you what it means. Don't take my word for anything you hear on these podcasts. Look the verses up yourself. And then you can make a decision as to whether or not Chaplain Tim was giving you short thrift on biblical truth. We're going to go on with Webster's again. He calls judgment a remarkable punishment, an extraordinary calamity inflicted by God on sinners. That's the divine judgment I'm talking about that man has no business messing with. Webster's go on and gives a couple of examples. Judgments are prepared for scorners. If we look at Proverbs 19.28 and Isaiah 26.8, these are things we're going to consider uh, later in the podcast, Proverbs 19:28 says, An ungodly witness scorneth judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity. Isaiah 26, 8 says, Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. Now, God's judgment provokes a couple of things. It's really very simple. Repentance and a desire to his name or scorn and rejection. You don't have to go very far in society today and talk to people about God. You can tell them what God's standards are on a certain thing. You're going to get two different reactions. People are either going to agree with you and try to agree with God, or they're going to scoff at you, scorn you, and they're going to say, I don't need that standard. That just happened to me today on Twitter, as a matter of fact. Somebody said, well, I reject your morality. Tim, I reject it, and I don't need to bow to it. Okay, no, maybe he doesn't in this world, but in eternity he's going to have to. The spiritual government of this world is another definition of judgment, and it says in John 5.22, the Father hath committed all judgment to the Son. Now it says in John 5.22, for the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. I want to offer a caution. Don't mistake this to mean that mankind will not be judged for sin. He will be, and this will be considered later uh, also. The righteous and, uh, excuse me, the righteous statutes and commandments of God are called his judgments. Psalm 119.66 says, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. That's what the psalmist is saying to God. Judgments are the doctrines of the gospel or God's word. Matthew 12.18 says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Justice and equity is another definition of judgment. A couple of scriptural examples, Luke eleven thirty one. 31. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with men of this generation and condemn them. That's a human, by the way, is going to rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Because she knew the word of God and they didn't. I'm paraphrasing the rest of the verse. You can go look it up, Luke eleven thirty one. 31. Isaiah 1, 17. Isaiah writes, learn to do well. Seek judgment. Isaiah said, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Judgment is, is the decrees and purposes of God concerning nations. In Romans eleven thirty three, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Judgment means a court or a tribunal. 
Matthew 5.21 says, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Judgment means controversies or decisions of controversies. 1 Corinthians 6.4 probably gives us the best example. Paul writes, If you then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Paul encourages that, and I used an example in the last podcast. Paul says, you're going to have to make decisions on things. And Paul also said, when you make that decision, not everybody's going to be happy. Now, he's talking about people that are under the same roof in a church. You're going to have to make a decision on this thing, Paul, uh, Paul said, and not everybody is going to agree with you. Judgment is also the gospel of the kingdom of grace. Matthew 12, 18 says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Uh, I use this verse already, and whom my soul was well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Now, the last example of judgment I'm going to give you is, is the divine one. It says, the final trial of the human race is how Webster defined it. When God will decide the fate of every individual and award sentence according to justice. Ecclesiastes says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And okay, I want to go back to the generic definition here for a minute uh, before we get into some of the more specific variations uh, that are outlined by Webster's and exhibited in the Bible. Judgment in Scripture, the spirit of wisdom and prudence, enabling a person to discern right and wrong, good and evil. So this is what judgment is in Scripture, whether spiritual, judicial, or temporal. Judgment can be exercised as a spiritual, judicial, temporal, or divine exercise. And we're going to talk about the generic temporal judgment here for just a second. Psalm 119.66, I said that verse earlier, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. The psalmist is saying to God in this verse, Who is the standard? Teach me, God, good judgment and knowledge. Judgment is assumed here. The psalmist knows he will need to pass judgment, and he'll be passing that judgment on this earth, but he wants to do good judgment, and he does that by the commandments of God. Now, the psalm talks about commandments and statutes, so we're going to define those for clarification. Statutes, a decreed limit, a thou shalt not, if you will, a, a measured portion, a, a positive command or declaration of the supreme power, something God commands you to do or to not do. Now, commandments, a precept. In a general sense, any commandment or order intended as an authoritative rule of action, but applied particularly to commands respecting moral conduct. Now, Ten Commandments are, are so many precepts for the regulation of our moral conduct. You know, so right here we can safely conclude that God expects us to judge and wants us to look to Him and His Word as the guiding compass to point us to good judgment based on knowledge of his word. Now, God has regulated our moral conduct. Whether we like that or not, whether we agree with that or not, whether we submit to that or not, God has regulated our moral conduct. And if we want to be right with God, we will submit willingly to that regulation. And we will judge our world, our personal lives, and our decisions based on those regulations. And to know what those are, as I said earlier, requires a knowledge of the scriptures. Don't know what someone tells you. Don't know, I put in quotes, don't know what someone tells you the Bible says. Read it yourself. And these regulations, for the most part, are fixed and unchanging. That's a podcast for 
another time. There's a difference between Old and New Testament. But there are moral absolutes, as some of us call them, that are unchangeable in the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament. And we, we live increasingly in a world where judgment of conduct and society is based on ever vacillating standards. We tolerate things now that would have been unheard of 50 years ago, even 25 years ago. Now, Judge Vincent Moore, the 13th Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, he said this in 1951. I think I used this in a previous podcast. Nothing is more certain in modern society than the principle that there are no absolutes. You know, now that's, that's true in the sense that people believe that. This is certain there are no absolutes. There are people that believe that, and there are people that believe that their morality is different than yours, but you can both be right. And it's become accepted then, and it is now, to change our society whenever the majority, or even a small vocal minority, demands it. I will, I will point out to the minor attracted persons in pedophilia argument. That is probably the best example right now. A vocal minority is demanding that we change our standards on that. Now, the media will even create the perception that a minority view is the majority view by blasting it at you 24-7, 365 from every megaphone they have, whether it's television, internet, radio, newspapers, uh, in our entertainment, books, Hollywood, music, etc., But I want to say something. I want you to hear this. But God does not change his commandments, statutes, and precepts because the people demand it. And he will sometimes let us eat the fruit of our own way. It says that in Proverbs chapter 1. But his standards do not change because the citizens of the world demand it. And we're going to be looking at some of the types of judgment here in the upcoming podcast. Judgments mentioned 280. 85 times in the Bible, give or take. And I don't have time to go over all 285 times in this podcast series. And I'm going to give you a sample to show the requirements uh, that we judge, that we judge righteously according to the Word of God, and that judging appropriate punishment is God's job, not ours. Now, the Bible shows men making judgments, shows God making judgments, and official courts or magistrates making judgments. It shows erroneous judgment based on wrong standards. It shows proper uh, judgment based on the right standards. And that's the key, the difference between judging righteously and not judging righteously. And in the future podcasts on this topic, we're going to look really closely at that. Okay, so we've taken an exhaustive look at the various uses and definitions of the word judgment in the Bible. And I'm going to close with this reminder. Though we are called to make judgments on behavior, actions, societal standards, and a host of other things we experience every day, We are not called to judge the individual past his sentence unless given specifically in the Word of God under the auspices of orderly human government, which God also established. And don't be the Christian that violates that. Don't be the hypocritic Christian, a hypocritical Christian that that points out a sin in somebody else that they indulge in themselves. A man's sin is between man and God, and God will deal with the sinner. Now, we may be called to speak against the sin. We may be called to expose it. We, we may be called to be that voice of morality so the world knows the holy standard. But the sinner as an individual is left to God. Now, I want to thank you this week for stopping by. And this is Chaplain Tim signing off. And we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Chaplain's Chair. If you enjoy the podcast, I invite you to leave a comment and review on the platform you're listening from. 
or visit www.thechaplainschair.com and leave a comment there on the Facebook page. And you can help grow this podcast by sharing it with your friends on your favorite social media platforms. And I thank you for your support.